This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to the Double Feature Movie Podcast, coming to you from the bustling tea rooms of the SPH Pleasure Dome. I'm Jonathan Roberts, and I'm joined by the new papers, Chow Suan. Hello. Hello. Now, we have two very different films this week in Shadow and First Man. First up, Suan, you went to see Shadow, the latest wuxia flick by Chinese director Chang Yimou, a film I'm cautiously optimistic about. Why cautiously, though? Uh, you never know what version of Chang you're going to get. Do you get The Brilliance of Hero, which is actually quite a few years ago now, or do you get this kind of hollow spectacle like The Great Wall? Uh, but before we talk about the film, the plot. Cue dramatic music. A buddy double for a Chai commander serves the king of Pei Kingdom by day, but secretly enters a hidden door in his chambers every night to report to his true master, the commander who was so badly injured in battle, he had to retreat into the shadows. In a series of physical, political and psychological battles, the commander serves as the mastermind using his body double as a pawn to gain power and victory over Pei Kingdom's enemies, General Yang and his son Ping. Dancing and drooling in what seems to be perpetual reign, the film takes palace intrigue and double-crossing to a whole new level, when two share an identity, a wife and a life. There is bound to strife. So, Suan, what did you think of Shadow? Honestly, I thought I'd hate it. I mean, I don't generally love Chinese historical drama or usia at all. But my word, it was an absolute stunner. It's beautifully shot, an intricate and unpredictable plotline, wonderfully developed characters and just amazing acting. And like, so I dragged my family along with me because I thought it would be so boring. But it wowed all of us. Like, we really thought... It was such a good film and it really kept us on the edge of our seat and unable to look away for all of its like 100 or so minutes. Oh, so it's like a return to form for Chang? Yeah, it's a huge bounce back, I think. What are your highlights? I think the film is an all-round winner, really. But if I had to pick my biggest highlight, it will probably be the landscapes. Like the ink painting-like landscapes really stuck with me. The black and white rendering of the landscape gave the entire film a dreamy tone with really, really well-composed shots. You could just screen grab any one of those images and it would pass off as a work of art in the traditional Chinese style, I think. And the breathtaking beauty of each of these shots, it really set the tone for all the violence that was to come because it was so delicate and so you know slow and sort of moody that when you get that blade cutting through and, you know, blood spattering everywhere. It just makes it so much more impactful, I think. Well, Chang's always been big on colour and composition. Yeah, but more than just the visuals, actually, the action choreography is really on point. Like, the constant rain just added sheen and dynamism to every move. Like, the... Okay, so the action scenes actually really packed some real consequence. Like, you know, it was so beautiful and it was, you know just so gentle and graceful, but it didn't lack any kind of brutality or consequence. From the sounds of it, there's quite a few plot twists going on. So is it full of intrigue, full of double-crossing, full of machinations? Yeah, it really is. Like, you can never predict what's going to happen next. But that said, I can see how this would not be a film for everyone. It can get just a little bit verbose and quite slow-moving at points. I mean, if prettily worded, you know, poetic dialogue is not for you, then you might find the film to be a little bit well, overdramatic. It's not easy watching. It's, you know, it can get quite heavy and a bit gory at some points. And it's it's no happily ever after type of film. Like by the end of it, there is no real hero. No one is good. And everyone is a bloodthirsty killer or at least a willing accessory. So, you know, unless you're ready to be completely engaged, it, it, it can be quite hard to follow, I think. 
But quite frankly, it is possibly my favorite Chinese language film I've seen in a long time. I mean, not that I watch a lot of them, but this one was really impressive and outstanding. I mean, it's more memorable and beautifully shot than even some of the English language films I've seen recently. I think a、uh, recommendation for Shadow there. Definitely wor- worth watching. I think.、Okay. So our second feature this week is First Man. John Rob, you saw this? Yes, I did. So what is the plot? Cue the music. Neil Armstrong goes to the moon. Okay, that's it. That's pretty much Re- it.、I、really, mean, <laughs> that's it. It's pretty much the plot, but it's much more than that, and there's a lot more to it. It combines an emotional journey and a thrilling experience, especially if you go watch it in IMAX. It's Gosling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's really. You, you make it sound like some kind of accusation. Like it's Gosling, isn't it? Yes, it's Ryan Gosling and it's Claire Foy and a whole bunch of other people. Ryan Gosling、uh, and Claire Foy play Neil and Janet Armstrong. Obviously, Neil is the first human to walk on the moon. Spoilers. On a very superficial level, I have to say that this film killed my dreams of being an astronaut. In the forty-nine years since humans have landed on the moon, I've not actually seen a film—not the right stuff, not Apollo thirteen, or anything like that. No film before First Man has done more to show just how bold and brave those early space missions were. And when I say bold, I mean utterly. Terrifying. The way it shows space travel, being strapped into those capsules is, yeah, you feel it. You get the claustrophobia, but it is it is so terrifying that I'm going to put aside my long held dream of being an astronaut until space travel has business class. You know, like two thousand and one had. Yeah, once it hits that level, then I'll start going to space. But if it's anything like what they show in First Man, no way, I ain't getting into that machine. Director Damien Chazelle, he uses a lot of handheld camera in this, and it takes you into that, those claustrophobic cockpits where you, you're basically just strapped in and you can't see out. So you get this experience of being in the launch, and the terrifying rumble. It sounds horrifying. It's similar way to、uh, the sequence where Uma Thurman is being buried alive in Kill Bill Two. All this stuff's going outside, and you can't get out, and you feel that、uh, claustrophobia. Uh, I mean, the science at the time may have been quite advanced, but this film shows each mission to be little more than essentially wearing a posh snorkel, being strapped into a tin lunchbox, and lashed to the top of a giant explosive, which is what it is. There's nuts, there's bolts, there's there's even a bit where someone says, "Just before a launch, have you got a Swiss Army knife to fix this thing?" It was so ramshackle. Yeah, I mean, these are brave souls being sent into space using little more than hope and amazing, amazing equations.、Uh, in fact, there's a sequence at the very start where、uh, Neil Armstrong is so close to having his experimental jet turn into a, some kind of cosmic coffin. He's about to bounce off the atmosphere and go into space, but then he does quick equations in his head because he's an engineer, and he manage obviously he manages to come back to Earth.、Um, Why would anyone get into a jet like that? Well, they are brave souls. I mean, brave, foolhardy, you know, whichever. On a much deeper level, this is a very personal journey of Neil Armstrong. So it sounds like Damien Chazelle is aiming for another Oscar. Well, we are getting into the awards potential season. We've had A Star Is Born. We've got、uh, Bohemian Rhapsody coming up, and it would be very easy to say that First Man has set controls for the heart of the Oscar. Yet that quieter human element that it brings to proceedings. Is essential. It really builds the film into something a lot more.
than just the story of the first man on the moon. How was the acting? Well, Gosling's take on Armstrong is a man whose emotions are locked so far from his surface, it may as well be the distance from the Earth to the moon. The problem here is, if it's a problem, it depends on which side you stand. He's playing it in a very similar style to his character in Drive. Gosling uh, does do that. The yeah, brooding, he, he, quiet. he does the, Well, it's kind of stoic, it's a taciturn. In this case, I mean, it, it's, it's like the moon. He, Armstrong is a cold rock and his companions are the satellites around him. So what about his wife? I think she plays quite a prominent role. Yeah, Claire Foy is... Uh, the emotion of the Armstrong family. And in this, she's, well, she wants her husband to come home in more ways than one. I mean, obviously, physically survive, but also emotionally come back because he's changed so much. And you really feel her frustration. She has to do this in the face of, you know, at any moment, her loved ones could be burnt up in some fiery doom. But aside from that, she's also dealing with a spouse who is more astronaut than a husband or a father. In fact, there's one key moment towards just before he goes off to the moon where she has to basically sit him down, forcibly sit him down and explain to his sons what the chances of him coming back are and to actually say goodbye. Oh, goodness. He, yeah, he, no, he, he, basically he doesn't know how to deal with it. Jason Clark, well, he epitomizes this kind of classic 60s astronaut, you know, this square-jawed aeronautics. The big surprise here is how they've portrayed Buzz Aldrin. It's... It's not flattering. Uh, Buzz Aldrin is, of course, the second man on the moon, and Corey Stoll plays him. But he plays him in a way that he's incredibly tactless. He always says the wrong thing at the wrong moment. He's a bit more brash. So I don't know what the real Buzz Aldrin thinks about that portrayal. Uh, Buzz Aldrin is, is, I mean, Buzz Aldrin's famously kind of like a a very blunt fella anyway. Ah, if you look up Buzz Aldrin punches conspiracy theorist on YouTube, you'll see Buzz Aldrin, who's a much older man even back then, Maybe not, not taking any nonsense from one of these conspiracy theorists who say that the moon landing was fake, and he just punches it. Maybe and after it's, this, it's you, wonderful. <laughs> Maybe after this, you'll see uh, Buzz Aldrin punches Chazelle. You never know. You never know. <laughs> but I've also heard that the film is really quite emotional and like death driven. Well, yeah. The other major character, aside from Neil, aside from Janet, the other major character in this is death. Uh, it's a it's a permanent fixture throughout this film. And I mean, it starts off when the Armstrongs lose their two-year-old daughter, Karen. But all the way through, there's the brutal reality that the men of the Apollo missions or the Gemini missions, the smallest thing could kill them. So I would suggest that you don't read up on the Apollo missions before you go see it. Going cold. So in that ironic way, history doesn't spoil the movie for you. There are a number of deaths throughout this, and each one hits you like a hammer blow. You feel for their friends. You also feel for the families. What the film really does is pitch Neil Armstrong using the race to the moon as a way of dealing with grief. I mean, he often imagines seeing his daughter in different situations. And there is a moment at the end, which is the biggest use of artistic license in the film. Even though we're in spoilers, I'm not going to say what it is, but there is no evidence for this particular thing happening. And you'll fall on one of two sides. You either think it's a, it's a touching moment, or you might find it too mawkish. But it's, from what we know, it's artistic license. It didn't actually happen. Sounds really interesting. So, I mean, with every space film, you know, the question is, how realistic is it, though? Well, some events may not have happened, but this feels really authentic. And I think that's thanks to the intimacy it's incredibly intimate at times because of the camera's proximity uh 
Chazelle's, uh, there's lots of talk about how he used different film stock for different situations. So the personal stuff he uses 16mm, NASA situations he uses 35mm. It's incredibly intimate when it gets to the personal stuff. In fact, the camera is in such close orbit to Gosling's face. I mean, it's strange to see an IMAX, but it's the camera's really close to people at times. But you're also taking on some absolutely amazing journeys. And like I said at the start, what they do with the launches and that claustrophobia that you feel and they're being strapped in and these rickety space capsules that are just so basic. You've got to remember that the computing power of the space missions is nothing compared to what you carry in your phone. And the technology of the rocket itself is so basic. It really is. Go see it in IMAX because it's an experience that even with historical fact telling you otherwise, you still find yourself wondering, oh, I wonder if they're going to survive blastoff. You know they're going to survive it. You know they're going to reach the moon. I mean, there's no spoilers there, but you just, you, you're crossing your fingers, whether physically or metaphorically. You're like, oh God, is they, are they going to make it this time? The other thing is that you're willing them to succeed, not just because it's you know this great achievement for mankind. This is no kind of propaganda thing, but you're willing them to succeed in the hope that Armstrong finds that key to allow him to escape his own capsule of grief. I should also say that with it being a Chazelle film, it's, I mean, he's, of course, behind Whiplash, La La Land, uh, music-driven films like that. There are two significant music moments in this. One of them is the use of this uh, tune called Lunar Rhapsody. It's a, uh, from the 40s. It's one of Armstrong's favorites. And it's uh, two significant moments. And in both of those, it's like you see the real Neil come through. Definitely go see it. It sounds uh, amazing. I can't wait to see it. Coming out of it, the first time I did wonder, was I more impressed by it than actually, you know, liking it? But no, the, the more I've been, had time to ruminate over it, I, I'm definitely going to go see it again because it's such an extraordinary different kind of film. Yeah, I feel like the emotional intensity is like, from what you're saying, I really want to go catch that. Okay, so those are two films that we can catch at the moment. But if you want to catch something else, Suan, what's your other recommendation of the week? So, coincidentally, my recently rewatched film is also a Ryan Gosling flick. Um, <laughs> it is actually, you mentioned it, it's the um, Nicholas Winding Refn's 2011 Stunner Drive. Uh, I've seen this film about 50 times at this point. I absolutely love it, and it's so high on my f- list of favourites. Um, well, the film, like Shadow, is an homage to its style. In Drive's case, it's neon noir. It's got the stoic lead character type. Um, it's full of beautiful composition, both visual and oral, and this is a film I always go back to. I don't like anybody who doesn't like it. <laughs> um, and <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's a strong criteria. Oh, it's really good. That said, I feel like the main reason why I picked it this week is its mind-blowing soundtrack. I've been just listening to it on repeat all month. It's perfect for like a long drive or a rainy night or really any time you want to listen to any kind of good music. In the past month or so, it's been that one record I've had on my LP player that just hasn't left it. And it's it's just the kind of record that I go back to every now and again. And I've done that since I first heard it a couple of years ago. It really is that good. And I think it's a must watch. Well, if you're looking for hipster credentials, you heard it there first. She places the LP on her record player. Stop. Yes, I'm quite a fan of Drive Myself, although I don't think it's ever quite recaptured that particular thrill as Nicholas Rending Riffin. My favourite bit in Drive is actually Oh My Love. It's a sequence that accompanies the full vengeance. Mm. 
part. There's a beautiful semi-operatic thing. The head stomping. It's it contains all particular delightful action. Yeah, drive is not for the faint-hearted. It really isn't. Well, that's where we'll leave things. Thanks for joining me, Sue Ann. Thank you. And join us again next week for another double feature. That was an SPH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes.com and bt.sg.